Hello and welcome to another episode of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who've lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. Welcome to episode 27, where we're continuing our look at the life of Martin Luther. As we left off in the last episode, Luther had just taken a position as professor of theology at the University of Wittenberg, and as a result, had begun to study the scriptures in earnest. We briefly discussed indulgences in the previous episode. As a reminder, an indulgence was granted by the Pope in return for good works or money, with the goal of reducing or eliminating a soul's time spent in purgatory. Indulgences could be bought for past, present, or even future sins, and could even be purchased for the dead. Monies earned from the sale of indulgences went to fund building projects, crusades, and anything else the church needed money for. Rome's most successful indulgent salesman was a fellow named Johann Tetzel. His job was to travel Europe, preaching and encouraging the populace to purchase indulgences. Tetzel played on the emotions of the poor and uneducated. He's quoted as saying, Don't you hear the voices of your dead parents and other relatives crying out? Have mercy on us, for we suffer great punishment and pain. From this you could release us with a few alms. We have created you, fed you, cared for you, and left you our temporal goods. Why do you treat us so cruelly and leave us to suffer in the flames when it takes only a little to save us? Then he'd famously end his services with the rhyme, As soon as the gold in the casket rings, the rescued soul to heaven springs. Tetzel was raising money for the reconstruction of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, but in fact, about half of the money he raised was going to pay off his own debts. Luther was not pleased, and so he composed his famous 95 Theses as an academic response to the sale of indulgences. In these theses, Luther argued against the requirement of the sacraments for the forgiveness of sin and the use of indulgences as opposed to true repentance. On October 31, 1517, Luther mailed a letter containing his theses to the Archbishop of Mainz, under whose authority Tetzel was selling indulgences. In addition, he posted them on the door of All Saints Church at the University of Wittenberg. This date is recognized as the beginning of the Reformation and is often celebrated as Reformation Day in our modern times. It's important to note that these 95 theses were simply designed to be the beginning of an academic discussion of their merits. They were written in Latin, the language of the academics and the church, not in the common tongue. Luther did not nail them to the door in anger or as some sort of great statement. The door to the church was a bulletin board of sorts, where it was common for academics to post things. The dramatic idea of Luther grabbing a hammer and defiantly nailing the 95 theses to the door is a little bit of an exaggeration. It's also worth noting that at this point, Luther wasn't questioning the idea of indulgences or purgatory or even papal authority. His chief aim was to spark a discussion around the sale of indulgences for the dead. In fact, Luther naively thought that the Pope, once he understood what Tetzel was doing, would put a stop to it. If the Pope had the power to free souls from purgatory, he asked, why would he not? Since he did not free them, it was obvious that he didn't have that authority, 
and Tetzel should stop taking money on the basis that he did. But Luther's ideas did not remain in the academic realm. Some students of his translated the document from Latin to German and had copies printed on the town press for distribution across Germany. In fact, within two weeks, Luther's 95 theses had spread to nearly every sizable village in Germany. And with them, Luther's fame began to grow as people began to read and consider his ideas for themselves. The Catholic Church began to take notice of Luther too. In March 1518, Luther composed and printed for distribution a pamphlet entitled A Sermon on Indulgences and Grace, clarifying and extending his position. Tetzel then responded with 106 theses of his own in an attempt to silence Luther on the subject for good. In April, Luther was asked to argue his position at the annual Augustinian Conference that was to be held in Heidelberg. Luther defended his views in what has become known as the Heidelberg Disputation, and he was well received by most Augustinians. In the summer of that same year, proceedings against Luther began in the church courts. Luther was ordered to come to Rome to stand trial, but under pressure from the German princes, Rome relented and approved of a German trial. The Roman prosecutor was a fellow named Cardinal Cahatan. Luther was a professor at the University of Wittenberg, remember, and the patron of the university and the prince of that region was Frederick III, later referred to as Frederick the Wise. Frederick, from the very beginning of Luther's notoriety, was a great protector of Luther. Though he was staunchly Catholic, he enjoyed the prestige that Luther brought the university and he was firmly committed to the right to a fair trial for his subjects. He was influential in getting Luther's interview with Cahitan moved to Augsburg. Frederick also arranged for safe passage for Luther. That was important, but remember that Jan Hus had been granted safe passage in similar circumstances a century previous, and he had ended up being burned at the stake. In a sort of circular irony, the hearing was held at the Fuga House. The Fuga were influential bankers, who had lent money to the Pope for the St. Peter's reconstruction that had necessitated the increased sales of indulgences that Luther had responded to with his 95 theses. Cahetan was instructed by his masters in Rome not to debate or engage Luther. Ideally, he was just to receive Luther's recantation. Luther was very deferential to Cahetan, even to the point of falling prostrate and kneeling before him. But he refused to recant. Over three days, from October 12th through 14th, Cahitan and Luther debated over the authority and source of that authority that the Pope held. Cahitan thought that the Pope had supreme authority, while Luther held that he only had whatever authority was given by Christ in the scriptures. Cahitan dismissed Luther, but he urged his council, including von Staupitz, who is still his superior in the Augustinian order, to extract a recantation from him. Von Staupitz was having none of it, and he released Luther from his Augustinian vows, thereby relieving himself of any responsibility for Luther's actions. So it's kind of a win-win. Cahitan wasn't the only one that wanted a piece of Luther. Luther had been privately corresponding with another theologian, Johann Eck, on the issue of indulgences. Eck, against Luther's wishes, decided to publish their letters. In response, Luther's friend and colleague, Andreas von Karlstadt wrote a defense of Luther's position and published 300-plus theses of his own 
on subjects like grace, free will, and penance. This led Eck to respond with his own theses. The back-and-forth publications prompted calls for a public debate and a three-way contest between Eck, Luther, and Karlstadt, known as the Leipzig Debate, was held across several weeks in the summer of 1519. In the debate, Luther was forced to firmly deny papal authority and declare that Scripture alone, sola scriptura, was the basis of the Christian faith. He denied the existence of purgatory, and he condemned the burning of heretics at the stake. Luther did not intend to make such public stances, but Eck's skill as a debater forced his hand. Meanwhile, Luther's ideas were spreading like wildfire throughout Europe. Every pamphlet and sermon he published sold out wherever it was reprinted. Posters were made of his likeness and hung in private residences and in public squares throughout Germany. Other reformers like Zwingli, Melanchthon, von Hutten, and Karlstadt picked up the torch of reform and began developing their own branches of theology in defiance of the Catholic Church. In response, Pope Leo X censured Luther and threatened to excommunicate him in a papal bull issued on June 15, 1520. The bull gave Luther 60 days from receipt to recant his problematic ideas or he would be excommunicated. It also instructed that Luther's works be destroyed and many book burnings were held. Luther wasn't impressed. He composed and distributed responses to the bull. He called the author of the bull Antichrist. Exactly 60 days from receiving it, on December 10, 1520, he publicly burned the document and the books of canon law. Since they have burned my books, I burn theirs, Luther said. The canon law was included because it makes the Pope a god on earth. So far, I have merely fooled with this business of the Pope. All my articles condemned by Antichrist are Christian. Seldom has the Pope overcome anyone with scripture and with reason. Luther was defiant. As soon as word reached Rome of Luther's actions, he was officially excommunicated on January 3, 1521, via papal bull by Leo. Now if you're like me, you might be a little fuzzy on what excommunication actually is. Now, it turns out it's a prohibition from participation in the sacraments, and an exclusion from participation in Christian or Catholic society. It's a penalty for some sort of serious offense, heresy, acting as a priest, sedition, murder, and more. It's what's known as a medicinal penalty that is designed to bring repentance from the recipient. Interestingly, a person could theoretically repent and recant and have the excommunication lifted. I always kind of understood it as more forceful than that, that it carried a sense of damnation with it. But there is a way back into communion with the church. And that's where we'll end part two of Luther's story. With Luther in the midst of his struggle against the powers of the Catholic Church and the Pope, he's been investigated and debated, then publicly condemned and excommunicated. His very life is in danger, yet he is not without allies. Other reformers are popping up all over Europe, and of course, his protector Frederick the Wise is still looking out for him. When we pick up the story next time, we'll look at the Diet of Worms, Luther's marriage to a nun, and the latter portion of his life as a church leader. Thanks for listening, and until next time, God bless. 